When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Bucket Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. We were at the Cavalli Center, which is where the volleyball team plays at Ohio State. A couple other teams play in there as well. But we met Ohio State's incoming athletic director, Ross Bjork. Nathan, I just want, let's just, for the sake of people understanding how this is about to work over the next six months, because Gene Smith is technically still the athletic director until June 30th, with Ross Bjork starting on July 1st. But he's actually going to get here a little bit earlier. And I know you have the contract details. Can you just give people a, a quick synopsis of how the next six months are going to work with Ross Bjork coming in and Gene Smith going out? Yeah, it's a good point because sometimes in these situations you'll see someone who retires and it says effective no later than whatever date. And sometimes if another person's hired, they take over. But that's not what's going to happen here. Gene Smith will remain as the athletic director through June 30th and Ross Bjork will arrive and start duties on March 1st. However, he will be a special advisor to Smith. Um, I think I actually texted that out wrong when I first texted because the, I, I got very confused because the name of the title for him is like senior advisor to the vice president of it, it's, it was, it was a very long, the end of the thing, he's going to be a senior advisor to Gene Smith from March 1st through June 30th. And then he starts the, athletic director duties on July 1st. So for anyone who's curious about this sort of things, he got a five-year contract. It's $2 million in base um, pay plus the media public appearances thing that goes on that and some various bonuses that, that, that go in there that kind of the standard bonuses. Frankly, a, a contract that, that um, mirrored Smith's in a number of ways. So um, yes, he, they will both be working together from March 1st through the end of the school year, through through the end of June. Okay, that's the minutia, the just details of how this is going to go here. He's going to be doing a lot of learning over the next six months. Gene Smith will still be making decisions, though. He is still in charge. And in fact, they made jokes about that, about how, like, when it's a Gene Smith decision, it's a good decision. When it's a Ross Bjork decision, it's a bad one, and vice versa. But that's how that's going to work. Now, we were there for, like, two and a half hours in the Cavalli Center. Uh, Ted Carter, This I think this was the first time Ted Carter has publicly spoken since he became no. the president, uh, no, since That's he officially got hired, like officially started his job on January no. 1st. No, he, okay. he did interviews uh, about a week into his job. Um, okay. The first day of classes, he did a press conference in conjunction with the first day of classes because that's when he came out and was asked about okay. Ryan Day's job security and said, no, he's our coach and uh, I'm expecting great things. So this is the first time he's spoken since this has become official that Ross Bjork Correct. is going to be the athletic director. This is also the first time we talked with Ross Bjork. We talked with Gene Smith as well. I went back and I was like listening to it on my drive home and Ross Bjork, Nathan kept bringing up the fact that he was a football guy. I think Ted Carter might be a football guy too. And this felt like very, I don't want to say very football only, but a very football centric president making a very football centric hire in the way they talked about some of the stuff with the, you know, the the uh, revenue sharing, the NIL space, the fact that uh, Ross Bjork went out of his way to say, "I we have 36 sports, we want to retain all 36 sports, but we know who King is, and that's the football team." Did you get that vibe from how this kind of how both of those two guys talked today? That there was a football was very much at the forefront of a lot of things of why. Ted Carter made this hire. Well, there's no question that Ross Bjork is a football guy. Like he played college football. He, you know, he he's been at Ole Miss and Texas A&M. He's a football guy. I don't know if Ted Carter is is necessarily a football guy quite to the same level. However, I mean, he was a ho- college hockey player at the Naval Academy. 
But then he was the superintendent of the Naval Academy where football is a pretty big deal. I actually, I don't know if this was out there. Somebody else may have already made mention of it in the past thing, writings about Ted Carter, but he reminded everyone his first game as the Naval Academy superintendent was um, Navy getting its butt kicked by Ohio State. Uh, so that was uh, an interesting start for him. But then he just he came, just came from Nebraska, and people can say what they want about where Nebraska has gone competitively in the past couple decades. And believe me, I've said plenty. Put a, put a pin in that for the, the tears conversation when we come back to that, the tears pod. But it's still a part of the... Like, there's there's a there's a parallel between Nebraska and what the football program means to that entire state and what Ohio State is and what the football program means to this entire state. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Nebraska was winning three national championships in four years and was a, a juggernaut. So I believe he definitely has an appreciation for what being elite at football means to the fabric of your university and the fabric of your brand and what it means across your state and just keeping people, um, keeping that allegiance and keeping the prestige of your school high. So I think there's been a lot of conversation in the last couple days about why didn't they pick one of Gene Smith's protégés and why are they going out of left field and getting this guy from the SEC who's had these issues and you know that that had to be brought up today and it was it was discussed and we'll get to that later but i think the most important thing here is not that the new ad has that shares the vision that uh, that gene smith had that got ohio state to this point it's much more important that the president and the ad are aligned in their vision for what ohio state and in college sports are going to be next what's coming for those entities and you got an impression today that these guys are on the same page that these guys want the same things these guys believe in the same things these guys have the same perspective on the unforeseen yet inevitable seismic changes that are still coming into how college sports are structured and funded and everything else so that i thought was a big takeaway today that that ted carter when he was brought these finalists and he had his criteria, this was the guy that jumped out to him as the person who could best fulfill what he thinks Ohio State's athletic director needs to be going forward. I want to say some of this NIL discussion for the second segment because I'm going to use the question that Nathan asked to kind of drive that conversation. But Andrew, just as you were sitting there listening to Ted Carter talk about the process of hiring Bjork, but then also the way Bjork talked about the football program, but just also just his vision for Ohio State. What was the impression you took from it? You summed it up in a better word than I did when we did one of our standups afterwards, and you just said aggressive. And I think that that is kind of the future outlook of, of the way that I saw this going. Um, you mentioned, you know, learning. It, it, it's the biggest budget in the country. And Ohio State is currently the place and the home of 31 division one sports. And I understand this is a football podcast, but that matters to an athletic director and the way that you pay for those 36 other sport or those, I guess, 34 other sports is the football program's really good. And the football program is functioning at a level in which people are happy with it because what happens when people are happy with it? They are much more willing to give over time and money and you're able to go to, you know, you have different conferences you're about to get a lot of money from the Big Ten uh, television deal. Like there's a lot of money coming in and you need the football program to be successful. Like uh, Ross Bjork mentioned that, you know, he I, he brought up one one hand and he said he got football and you got the men's basketball, the two revenue sports, and then you got everything else. And for him to come out and say that, I think, was really unique. And, and I thought that that kind of showed that they do understand that this is the moneymaker at Ohio State and this is what draws the eyeballs to Ohio State. Um, again, the NIL thing, I think, is is another conversation that we will get into. That's part of this. Um, he mentioned uh, playing for championships, which, you know, Nathan brought up the point like that's every, you know, that's every AD's kind of goal and that's every AD's kind of job. And yeah, you know what? I, I agree. But for him to get up there and for him to say this is a championship level brand and there's a fighter brand in college football. And basically it's the haves and the have nots of, of college sports. And he kind of seemed, I don't know, I, I think I have this right with, with if you guys agree, he kind of seemed to institute or in, in, oh my God, what am insinuate? I trying to say? Insinuate. Whew, it's been a long day. 
kind of tried to kind of seemed to insinuate that Texas A&M is more on the border of the fighter championship kind of brand than you would think. So, yep. yeah, th- to me, that just everything that I got from that press conference from the w- from kind of what he said to and maybe this is stupid how he said it. I looked at this as a guy who is going to come into Ohio State and he's not going to be afraid to make changes or do whatever is absolutely necessary to get programs, specifically football and men's basketball, to kind of where he wants them to be. Yeah, he didn't insinuate it. He he said it. He said that mm-hmm. Texas A&M was more like the fighter Fair. level and this was truly championship level. And I thought that was that definitely something that hit my ears as soon as he said it, that he was coming right out and saying Texas A&M with all of its resources and all of its brand and all of its major football program being in the sec expecting to look at what they just paid for a coach or paid for a coach to go away um all those things it's still not at the level of ohio state like this is elite of the elite and it should be the expectations should be that high but also the uh the, the, the expectations on him are that high and and what are you going to do that maintains you know, having 36 sports, which both he and Ted Carter said that they expect to continue to do, um, but also continue, or in some people's opinion, I suppose, start to maximize your most marquee entities. I think the other word I would have used other than aggressive, because it, he did come off super aggressive. And I, I'll get into more of like the, the pros and cons of what that can lead into over the next couple of years when we get into that second segment. But the other word I probably would have used is opportunity. We've had this conversation over time with different avenues, but it's the same concept of Ohio State figuring out where it should throw its power around and where it shouldn't. Because it is still football on the football field right now. It's not the best program in college in in the North. It's in the Big Ten right now. It's not now, and that still might that might change in a couple of weeks here, depending on what Jim Harbaugh decides to do. But that's still up in the air right now from a competitive football standpoint. But Ohio State, the brand, is still the most important thing in the Big Ten. It's still the most important thing in the North. And Ted Carter and Ross Bjork talked with a bit of a conviction that I don't think Gene Smith always did talk with. And I don't even mean that, Nathan, as like a negative towards Gene Smith. It's just a different approach to things. When you when we would ask questions of that to Gene Smith, it was a little bit more... There's moments, right? Like in 2020 with the whole getting back on the field with the Big Ten. It, that, that was a moment. But it was, it was almost a more conservative approach to we're going to pick our spots to throw our power around, to throw our weight around in this conference. While with Ted Carter, if he's like, he, I think he said as much as I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but like something of like the, the higher earning schools or something like that should have a bigger voice. And that was after he did say that we are one of 18. He did clarify yeah. that. Like we are one of 18. However. Yeah. I think it's worth, it's worth monitoring though, how, because this has been a topic of conversation that we've had on Buckeye Talk for a long time, going back to when mm-hmm. Doug was was sort of leading a lot of these discussions, and about how Ohio State is a little bit of a benevolent dictator. That's probably not the right term, but because uh, it doesn't really dictate, I guess. But like it, 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 it is judicious about the way it throws. It could. Right? It's its moments. It could dictate if it wanted to. It just yeah. doesn't necessarily always go that far. It, it, but possibly, yeah, and because I think it, I think though it sees the health of the conference at large being compromised if one school or two schools or whatever are just imposing their will on everyone else and that there's a greater good to pursue. But I also think for me, it's maybe less what they're going to do in the short term or the, or the local just within the big 10, because you're, you're a little bit aligned in what the best interests are there. What I am more interested in, and they both got into this a little bit today in speaking about various things, but where do they see college athletics going? And is Ohio State going to lead in some areas where maybe Gene Smith and the previous presidents, I don't know, would have been less comfortable? Like Gene's been very upfront that he doesn't want anything that resembles pay for play. He is in favor of, he didn't have a problem with NIL. Mm-hmm. Um, as an entity, though he clearly was, uh, um, what do I want to say? 
he he was setting a standard of a cautious approach to it um, mm-hmm. as far as just, you know, they, they weren't using it as a recruiting inducement. I was having conversations as of Wednesday morning with people in the NIL. You know, I've everybody I've talked to in and around Ohio State NIL, people who are not connected to Ohio State, they say, no, like you can't. There's, there's like for 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 uh, for players uh, coming into Ohio State, there's like a boilerplate contract with no actual name on it. That's what you get for NIL because it's not you're not you don't get an eye until you actually sign here. They can't even have the conversation. And that's because that's the way Gene has said that Ohio State needs to approach it because he's had a healthy paranoia of what the NCAA could come down on. By the way, re- reference my text that I sent out last week about what's happening to Florida State right now and may mm-hmm. happen in other places. So I think the the there's got to be a middle ground in here, though. And I think when you because some of these changes now that are coming are inevitable, I don't really have a problem with Gene Smith's principles but as you look ahead into the future you probably have to have a more progressive approach to some of these things because they are so inevitable so once they are inevitable go out and be the leader go make sure ohio state is out in front and establishing things in such a way that they are beneficial to ohio state and that's where i think that ross bjork's biggest work is ahead there's there's the Mm -hmm. local you know he was clearly brought here to, to raise money and he has a good history of doing that at the previous places he's been. And that's an important part of any high-level college administrative position. Um, and he was, I think, also partially brought here because of the experience he's had in NIL. But I think it's the, from some of these things that are more, what are the very structure of college sports going forward? Is there true Power 5 um, breakoff for football? Is there um, what... Um, uh, the the NCAA president has been talking about in terms of um, letting the the biggest schools, the most um, revenue, uh, biggest revenue schools have a different set of rules than apply to other people. Like he seems to both embrace those and be ready to put Ohio State out in front on those issues. And that is probably something Ohio State fans should want to hear, that your president and your athletic director want to see what's coming and want to go out and lead it. And because the more that they lead it, especially at a place like Ohio state, the more it gets crafted in Ohio state's image. It just felt like they both just dived headfirst into everything that's, oh, this stuff is coming. So get behind it and get excited about it. And, you know, dic- to your, dictate it, be at the forefront of it. And I just felt like on Wednesday afternoon, both Ted Carter and Ross Bjork talk the talk. Now you got to go walk the walk, right? And Ted Carter, he, he started his job on January 1st. Ross Bjork will start the advisory role on March 1st and then take over officially as the athletic director on July 1st. So that we'll, we'll see. But I just felt both of them talk the talk of some things that maybe you were questioning whether or not Ohio State was willing to dip its toe that far now you gotta do it the right way obviously i'm not saying go full throttle with it with the way we've seen some of these other southern schools do which we'll get into what we'll talk about in the second segment but i just thought that was interesting because i don't think i was expecting that not necessarily from ross bjork just because i mean he's coming from texas a&m he's been in the sec for the past 12 years of his life but ted carter i think even got asked about was him was ross bjork's experience in the sec a part of the factor and he didn't say it wasn't a part of the factor but it did make him attractive that's what he said it was almost a bonus in that situation andrew and i was joking with you afterwards like is ross bjork going to come in here and sec things up and i don't think i mean that in a negative way it just seems like there's an aggressive approach at least from the way they talked on wednesday that both of these guys are aligned that they're willing to tackle that maybe wasn't always the case with the previous regime. I think so. Um, but I do want to point out, and I'm not, you know, trying to be overly negative, but this was a big part of the conversation today. Being aggressive can go wrong, right? Like being, and we'll get into the NIL stuff later, like you were talking about in the second segment, but being aggressive can go wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, he did talk about the, uh, the Jimbo Fisher contract. Uh, I think it was $75 million that Texas A&M had to buy out. Uh, Bjork was the athletic director at the time. Uh, he mentioned, you know, hey, look, there's a lot that goes into this. There's, you know, multiple people that make decisions and yada, yada, yada. And there was a little bit of politicking. And then he goes, but 
the, you know, the quote is the buck stops with me. And, and that was the comment. So it is important to note that, yes, you can be excited about, hey, look, things can be like, hey, look, Ohio State's going to be this aggressive, you know, kind of leading the charge, controlling the play, dictating the pace of play, if you will, of the college football conversation and doing things in a manner that tries to put yourself ahead. And it can also go wrong. It did at Texas A&M with Jimbo. Obviously, that situation was kind of a mess. Um, you know, he mentioned that uh, it was his job. It was his job to make the right recommendation. Uh, and he didn't do that. And he goes, I'm the one responsible. Uh, he was also at Ole Miss. And they had the uh, the Hugh Freeze situation where he had some personal issues and some off-the-field stuff that cost him his own job. There were some recruiting violations that cost Ole Miss retroactively 33 wins. Uh, Houston Nutt, their former coach, sued the school for, I believe, like trying to say that the university was casting some of those recruiting violations onto him and saying that he was kind of the guy. So Houston Nutt obviously took offense to that and sued the university. And uh, Ross Bjork was the guy who was the athletic director during that time. So I do want to be clear that he did talk about those things because those things have happened in his past, right? You're not adding a guy who's just going to show up and all of a sudden Ohio State's going to look vastly different tomorrow and it's all going to be for the better. There are some things that have happened that have gone negative and I'm not saying that the Ohio State tenure is going to be negative. I'm just saying that that's kind of where he's at in his past and um, you know, he didn't go too deep into the Ole Miss stuff. Um, he did go, I think, deeper into the Jimbo Fisher stuff. Um, but, you know, there there are things with being aggressive, and I think you said it right, Stephen, and we will get into this certainly in the NIL conversation. You've got to be aggressive in the right spots. To put it in football terms, you don't throw long every play, but you got to understand they don't back up if you never throw deep. So you gotta, you gotta push the envelope at some point, but as I think this is a really good example for Ohio state fans that sometimes if you push the envelope on something like a massive coaching extension, it can go wrong. I wonder what the origin of the phrase push the envelope was, but there's, but yeah, one, of our, what is it? but one of our listeners knows I bet yeah. like the first time, Oh, there's some story about how King George the third had this thing and it was about pushing envelopes and that's what led you. You know I it? got it. The okay. expression comes originally from mathematics and engineering, where an envelope is a boundary, but was popularized by test pilots, especially those depicted in Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff. Ah, that okay. answer was boring. I like where you were going with it better, Nathan. <laughs> that King is George. from a, a Canadian Public yeah. Works dot gov site. So, yeah, uh, that was go. boring. I like Nathan's idea better. It was King George. He was probably pushing an envelope around, and somebody <laughs> made it a phrase. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I I thought his answer to both the freeze thing and the Texas A&M thing, because I asked him a question, and we're going to get into the NIL discussion in a minute, but I, the, the, the crux of the question I asked was, uh, within that, the cultural difference between Texas A&M and Ohio mm -hmm. State. And he, the way he answered both the freeze thing and the A&M thing, I thought were somewhat reflective of the cultural differences. He mentioned the outside influences at play with Ole Miss. He mentioned the, and he, in both cases, he was sort of saying, well, the buck stops here, but here's who else could have stopped the buck and didn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and in the Texas A&M situation, it was, yes, there was another job opening. They And I, I can't remember what that job opening was off the top of my head. But they I think they it was LSU. Lose. Yeah, yeah, and that they thought they might lose Fisher too, so they felt like they had to do it this way, and the administration was on board, and et cetera. And I think both of those are reflective of things that, because of the way Ohio State has structured itself, I, I just feel like he he's coming to a place where there are more, um, there is more caution, but that also means there's like more guardrails potentially from some of these things that have happened in the past for him. I'm not excusing his role in them, but I am saying that at sometimes there are, especially in the case of like that extension at A&M that seemed like there were forces at play that he was just rubber stamping the way that it, the administration as a whole wanted it to be done. So at a place like Ohio state where you don't have a booster culture that is out of control at a, in a place where you don't maybe have such a, I think people sometimes forget 
that Ohio State, because of what it is in the Big Ten, there isn't quite the same level of desperation around football that can sometimes lead to some of these recruiting situations as there is in the SEC. When you're Ole Miss and you're kind of like floating in the middle of the SEC a little mm-hmm. bit and you're always chasing the big dogs, I imagine that that's happening. And I'm not saying that you should just then go break rules. I'm just saying that, again, it, it, it paints a picture of the culture that you're, you're coming from. And I think that Ohio State could be, if you're looking at this optimistically, if you're trying to find the bright side of this, for if you're out there and you have, you have qualms about hiring Dork and you have questions about his background in these situations, I would say that's completely fair. I would also say, though, that there is something to be said for someone who has been through those situations and then now comes to a place where the the environment is different. And what can he add to the culture at Ohio State within those guardrails that can raise things up without pushing it beyond the places where you start getting into trouble? I think that's what I'm kind of trying to look at it from. Like, it, yes, he encountered these problems. He was around when these problems happened. Hopefully you learn from mistakes. Gene Smith had to learn from some mistakes the hard way at Iowa State too, by the way. Like this was not a smooth sailing from day one for for Gene Smith. You can talk about Zach Smith. You can talk about uh, uh, other things that happened in other sports and other branches of the athletic department that resulted in in problems and firings and, and other things. So you you've got to just learn from it and move forward. And if and hopefully what he's come through that helps him benefit at a place where you have all of the resources, you have even more resources than what you had before, though you do, it does come with the expectation of academically and, you know, in terms of reputation, it's, it's a higher standard here. This is not a place where, you know, right or wrong, I think people look at most schools in the SEC, and I think this is true almost like across the board, probably not true so much of like Texas and Oklahoma that are coming in, but a lot of those other schools where, the academic reputation is not so high that you can afford to like compromise it with football or you can, you almost can afford to compromise it with football. And that is not the case at Ohio state. That's not the way alums think of Ohio state. That's not the way the state thinks of Ohio state as much as it loves football. And he's going to have to adapt to this culture, but this culture also could probably benefit from some things that he could bring to this mix. Ted Carter said that the answer he gave during their interview process about the Hugh Freeze and the Jimbo Fisher situations were satisfactory. The Hugh Freeze answer to me was weird that he gave us. Obviously, he probably went into more detail with Ted Carter when they sat down than he was going to ever do with us. But it was just kind of weird. It was like, it was my fault, but we went on facts. And then he had like a personal failure. So it's like, are you taking accountability or are you blaming Hugh Freeze here, Ross? Because I'm not sure what you're doing here. After I heard his reasoning for the Jimbo Fisher um, contract extension. I, I, I'm not going to let him off the hook, but I get it. I understand it. Because he, he talked about, like, the market. Like, the market kind of dictates some of this stuff. And if if you're going to if, – if someone – if you don't want to lose your head coach – and I, I think Tim May asked this question of him about, like, the market and stuff like that, how, like, Alabama loses its head coach and then all of a sudden, like, five or six head coaches around the country got contract extensions and raises and whatnot. So it's like – I don't want to say his answer was kind of like, what are you going to do? But it's like, it is to an extent when the market is dictating some of this stuff and you're trying to get out ahead of it, it is, what do you do? But then he also said that he does think that with some of the stuff they were talking about, like the revenue sharing and other ideas that were presented by NCAA president, Charlie Baker, which they're on board with that entire thing as well. It might correct some of this stuff. While also I think Ted Carter, Nathan, he talked about how, and this is to your point, He's not worried about something like that happening at Ohio State. And I think it goes back to like, – I, I halfway agree because you never know. I mean, people make dumb decisions right. sometimes. Yeah. Right down the day but, time said that. Right. So we'll bring it back so, up like, on people, a very special emergency episode. Of yeah. <laughs> people are still people. But I do think Ohio State is less susceptible. And it goes well, back to what we were talking about with the championship tier versus the fighter tier. Texas A&M was in a position with Jimbo Fisher where it's like, we can't afford to lose that guy. But Texas A&M is also not the job as a college football program that Ohio State football is as a college football program. So, like, you – I don't want to say you can go find another Ryan Day, but it's more likely that if Ryan Day would leave – Texas, the the Ryan Day of Texas A&M leaves Texas A&M and the Ryan Day of Ohio State leaves Ohio State – 
I would put more faith in Ohio State being able to find a Ryan, another Ryan Day than I would Texas A&M. Yeah, it's uh, the Texas A&M, the Jimbo Fisher thing, I think, again, it helps I, it helps exemplify the differences between A&M and Ohio State more than it explains Ross Bjork's philosophies. Because how many like combined days of true desperation has Ohio State football experienced since well let's just let's keep it short like the day urban meyer was hired like how many days of like were you reading like oh how state's in like a desperate place almost for football i would say that like the first 72 hours after the cotton bowl maybe this from this past year where you've just come off the michigan loss it was already bad and then that happens like so maybe you could even extend it back to from the day maybe you go from like the day of the Michigan loss to the day Will Howard commits. And like that period mm-hmm. seemed kind of desperate. But since mm-hmm. then, it's just been a mm-hmm. quick build right back. And now everybody's like, oh, Ohio State might just be the preseason number one next year. This might be the best team in the country. But look how look how that happened overnight almost. From 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 being you know devastated. And whereas at Texas AM, the desperation is real because they've just they mm-hmm. there is a thought that they're supposed to be playing at that top of the sport and they just don't and no matter how no matter how many national championship coaches they hire and no matter how much money they pay them it wasn't getting done and i think timing is an issue and like jimbo fisher's situation happened at like this perfect juncture where then texas a&m overreacted and extended him to, for that guaranteed contract and i just don't know what circumstances that would happen at ohio state where you would catch yourself in a unworkable long-term boondoggle of a contract like that for any head coach like gene smith keeps extending ryan day is given ryan day raises ryan day is paid as one of the top five coaches in the country or the ohio state head coach who happens to be ryan day right now is paid as one of the top five head coaches in the country and yes he's got a pretty significant buyout too going into next year but it's not anything near what Texas A&M was saddled with and nor do I think again that they would ever put themselves in a situation where they're they're anchoring their program like that for the long term I just don't think that would be tolerated at Ohio State maybe it will be proven wrong but there's a different tolerance for some of these things that's a word that I kept thinking of today I think I even used it in my question to Ross Bjork that that tolerance kept coming to me that like here's what Mm -hmm. Ohio State expects but here's what it will tolerate and when I say Ohio Mm -hmm. State I mean alums i mean the board of trustees i mean the faculty like everybody uh, fans even i think right fans don't mm-hmm. fans want sec respect without sec um smear sec slime yeah. sec grime on their reputation and it's that's a tough thing to to do but ohio state has done that ohio state is that i think ohio state is that with, with, with a couple missteps here along the way sure every every major program has it so that get I'm, I'm rambling a little bit but that's that was something i kept coming back to like he can bring an experience of how to succeed in some important areas with the guardrails of not having an administration, et cetera, that is going to overreact and, and maybe lead to some of these bad situations. So that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that too extensively because it's more than just, I think, can Texas A&M kind of get to that from that fighter to championship tier because the championship tier includes everybody. It's, are you like, who, who's the next biggest brand in Ohio? Uh, yep. Cincinnati? Like LeBron. (laughs) Fair point. Um, But yeah, so, okay. Well, actually, so it might be LeBron and then Ohio State, but that's a whole other argument. But like Texas A&M wasn't even the biggest brand in its own state. Like that's the Longhorns, right? Like Texas has that's Texas has the whole hook'em and the history and everything like that. And Texas A&M just kind of strikes me as like the little brother in a family of seven that like lights the kitchen table on fire so people will start to finally notice him like that's just kind of feel like what happened because not only do you have to like not only do you have to contribute at a national level which is what people want which is what the boosters want like the boosters want to be ohio state they want to be everybody you have to do so in a state where you're not the biggest brand in a conference where you got lsu four probably five hours away they're 
you know, national champions. You got Georgia competing for national championships. You got Alabama. Your big competing. brother is now in your conference. At yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I was going with that. So now you get oh, like sorry. Ohio. Like what? Like what is the second biggest brand in, in the Big Ten? It's Michigan. And Michigan has had a run for like three years, four years, maybe three years, actually, where Michigan has been kind of on top of Ohio State in terms of on the field product and in terms of success on the field. And when you look at the rest of the conference, though, there's not really anybody there. Like it's like Ohio State and Michigan are the two torchbearers. And yeah, you have a lot of other really good programs. You got USC and their history coming in. Penn State's got a good history. You got Oregon. Like you've you've got good history there. But in the SEC, to to further Nathan's point, you are not only fighting a national battle against everybody, which also included at the time the West Coast schools, the Big Ten schools, the SEC schools. You're, You're trying to get into that tier. You're also trying to get noticed and trying to get into the tier of your own conference. And Ohio State doesn't have to do that. Like we, he mentioned the point, Ohio State might be the preseason number one or number two team in the country. I bet you they probably will be top three, top four going into the country just with what they have going coming back. They're there. So you don't maybe have to be as worrisome or, as to use your word, as desperate as you would be at Texas A&M. And I think that that could play in your favor. Okay, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Ryan Day. This from the NIL part of this and from the Ohio State football perspective, because that's what people that's what matters most here in this conversation is what does this mean for Ryan Day and the Ohio State football program? So we'll get into that more when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315. That is the number that right now, right now, do it. Put that number on your phone and text it. Just text it. Two week free trial, three ninety nine after that, because when you text that number and you sign up for the text. You get a lot of text messages coming back your way, man. We were updating new stuff that was happening with Trent. The day started on Wednesday with Nathan sending out a text about, hey, Caleb Downs is officially in the portal. And then it's like, hey, we're talking with Ross Bjork and Ted Carter. And we're talking with Gene Smith about the new athletic director. And then, hey, Caden Proctor went into the portal. And it's a bunch more after that, too, man. Two-week free trial, 399 after that. I promise you, you will not regret signing up for the text, 614-350-3315. Since we're having the Texas A&M discussion, I, I want to use your question, Nathan, to kind of gauge the next part of what we talk about here, because the thing you asked in layman's terms, because I don't have the transcript right in front of me, obviously, was basically about, hey, Texas A&M in 2022 had this awesome recruiting class with like 12,000 five stars in it. And then like two years later, half of them were in the portal and it just didn't work out. And it felt like and I think you used the term. There are a lot of Buckeye fans who were envious of what was going on in that situation. And he kind of threw that phrase back at you a little bit. But the way well, they were talking today, I know. He threw it back at you in a way. Go ahead. So the question I asked was, other, many other people had already asked about NAL. And I said, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I think Ohio State football fans were envious of what Texas A&M was doing in the NIL space. And then mm-hmm. – Recently, they've been amused by what ended up happening at Texas A&M, where that was mass exodus of people into the portal. And he he took exception to um, some of the way I phrased the question because it's like, yeah. well, you know, you're 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 using que- words like you know perception and envy, and it's unless you're on campus and actually seeing the contracts our guys sign, then you don't really know what's going on. I, I get it. But the crux of the question was still the same. And the, the way I ended mm-hmm. the question was, you know, what, how do you, what's your strategy for succeeding in that realm at a place where, again, to bring it back to what we were saying before, there's just a different tolerance. There is a different strategy. There's a different ethic as it relates to whether you're going to um, push the boundaries of what's allowed. And uh, frankly, a, a different, you know, there's still more people at Ohio State among the high money donors who I think would more of that money is still going to academics over athletics. I don't know if that's true at A and M. I think there are more people at A and M. I'm just saying this from I haven't studied it. But it just seems like the kind of place, and I think, as I was saying before, I think you can say this across the SEC, there's, there is a lot more of that money that people are more willing to put towards 
an endeavor like NIL, big money, than there is around Ohio State yet. And it, it's cultural. It's just a cultural difference. Mm-hmm. So because of that, what happened in that, in that 2022 recruiting cycle probably is not repeatable at Ohio State in terms of you got this crazy class and what feels like the reason why you did it is because you threw a bunch of NIL money out of a bunch of kids and it fell apart. So what is the realistic expectation for what NIL can be, Andrew, in the recruiting space? If it, and maybe that's not even the right way to word that question, though. But part of the reason why people may be excited about this guy is because he saw what he was doing in the NIL space at Texas A&M, and maybe it can help with Ohio State, who's already – that part of their situation is already starting to improve, but maybe it takes a significant jump now that you've got an athletic director on board who feels like he isn't going to – if you ask them, hey, where should fans be putting their money? Where should Booster be putting their money? He's not going to go, I can't tell people what to do with their money. He'll at least – engage in the conversation regardless of what the ending outcome is so what's like the realistic push here for that because it, it's not going to be as extreme as it was with texas a&m but it also maybe won't be as bad as it was in 2023 where it felt like they were losing guys from an nil at least that's how they felt within the program the the most realistic and i think frankly the best case scenario here is you have a controlled and competitive NIL program and NIL system, if you want to call it that. And I know I just sounded like a politician and I know I just sounded like an AD and somebody that's that's trying to not go too far with NIL, but that's the the landscape that you're in. Because go look at Texas A&M's 2022 recruiting class as we're talking about this. I'll pause for two seconds to allow you to pause the podcast and go do that. Okay, so now that I'm talking, go go look and look at those players and tell me how many of them you have seen become All-Americans, become great players, become just high-level players, because, look, they, they've got a lot of really good players in that class, um, but you can't go after everybody that's got a high rating, because not all of them are fits. Nathan, were you going to say something? Oh, so forget All-Americans. How many of them are still at Texas A&M? I was yeah well that's what I was going to get to so yeah. <laughs> you're you're talking about a list of players where hey look go look at the you know the recruiting class from I don't know 2020 and just the national rankings and you're going to see a lot of really good players that hey look they're in the NFL now and hey look this guy's really good in the NFL now and blah 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 but you're also going to see a lot of misses and what you've got to do with NIL is you have got to be competitive in a space where it is not prohibitive I think that's the key phrase, not prohibitive from keeping a player away from you because you don't want to go after and just say, you know what, we don't care if this dude is a fit for what we want to do. Let's go get him, right? You're not going to go get a, a corner that, hey, he's the 17th ranked player in the country. He must be good. That doesn't fit Jim Knowles' system. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Right. And I think there is an argument to be had and there is a discussion to be had, um, you know, not to pin this all on one kid. I'm not trying to do this. I do just want to use him as an example. Do you want to look at kids like a Justin Scott and say, you know what, we're going to just outpay everybody for this kid who maybe clearly was just going to go to the highest bidder. And I'm there's nothing wrong with going to the highest bidder. This is what everybody does in their employment, or a lot of people do in their employment. I get it. But is that the kind of market that you want to be in, right? Like you, you got to find players that fit what you want to do on the field. So you've got to be competitive. You don't want to lose out to, you know, a player who's the seventh ranked offensive tackle here for example david sanders jr the offensive tackle from uh charlotte he's the number two overall player in the country you you want to go after him because if you think he can fit your offense if you think he can fit what you want to do he would be a great addition he's the number two player in the country and he's an offensive tackle those are two things that ohio state desperately needs and you you want to be in a position to where you are competitive with 
the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Texases, the LSUs, the Tennessees, the Oregons, the USCs, the Miamis. You want to be in that market where players are not looking at Ohio State NIL programs or NIL offers and kind of scoffing and kind of laughing and saying, what is this? Like, you got to be in that market, but you've also got to make it fit from a football perspective, from a personality perspective. Does the kid like the coach? Does the coach like the kid? Like, there, there's a lot more to this than just let's throw money at everybody and see if it works and see what happens. Because then two years down the line, when a coach gets fired and you have a mass exodus, you're kind of left standing there with a bunch of money just gone because you paid all these kids. And now all of a sudden they are no longer with the program. You're talking double digit kids are no longer with that program. And it's been almost like two years now. That's a crazy number. And I know it's the transfer portal and I know it's kind of that era, but that's a wild figure to be spouting and to be talking about. So there's more than just let's throw money at some kid and hope it sticks. You've got to have a bunch of different things that fit from all the, all the reasons that I listed. And I think that when you look at Ohio state's recruiting, it's not exactly like you're recruiting three-star players and you got to find a way to jump to an elite level. Ohio state landed the number one overall player in the country from Florida last year, despite Florida state and Miami literally on their hands and knees, begging this kid to come play college football for them. They did that. They got him there. So it's not exactly like Ohio State's recruiting operation is so down in the dumps where they need this massive overhaul. Devin Sanchez, the number six overall player from Houston, a corner, he just committed to Ohio State last week or two weeks ago, whatever that was. So Ohio State's still landing good players and they're still landing talented players and they're still landing players that they like. But what you don't want, like Stephen was saying, is for a player to be you know, 50-50 on these schools but one of these NIL offers is just so not even close. I have to choose this one. You got to be competitive. So that's the key word when you're talking about NIL. And I know I'm ranting, but it's competitive. You've got to be competitive, but you've also got to be smart. And you've got to know how and when to use that money. Because as we know with Ross Bjork's last tenure, if you have a program that is not smart with that money, who is just kind of throwing money all over the place at a bunch of different kids who maybe don't fit that system, don't fit that school, don't fit that scheme, you see the results. I don't think people ever thought that was going to be an issue for Ohio State. I mean, they, they've, I think, had the right approach to the players that they targeted. Um, and But even in this last cycle, they're still losing players, it appears, to being bought away by other programs. But I also think there's only so much defense that they want to play on some of those deals. There's right. only so far down the line they're willing to say, okay, well, we'll capitulate. Like It's it's almost like, oh, they're giving you that much? Well, okay, I guess. Like, What are you going to do? Um, because, again, they, they're not... Everyone that I've talked to so far is has been, you know, there's a pretty strict... We're not getting involved... Ohio State, you can't get involved until the guy is signed, until the guy is in the program. And then and then I, the door is open for NIL. And obviously there have been progressions here because that this, this mass group of players that came back, I'm not going to say that NIL was the number one factor in bringing a lot of those players back. It was a bigger factor for some players than others from the conversations I'm having. And... Some of the numbers that are out there as far as like what guys supposedly make are really off base. But I've also heard like fairly and I almost to the point where I don't want to quote it yet because it's something I haven't verified enough. But I was I was surprised to hear how many players might be making like more than a hundred thousand per year. Really? And yeah. So it's Again, that's no, like, not really that they were that doing it. Like, no, you that you were shocked that 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 was happening. Not shocked. I'm just saying that I think that the, the, and a hundred thousand might even be too low to to set as like the cutoff here. I'm just saying that I there is increasing evidence that Ohio State has figured out a lot of these things. And I, I what I'm very curious about is, again, they got to this point despite the cautious approach that Gene Smith was insisting upon across the athletic department 
is it really in Ohio State's best interests to turn its back on that cautious approach when they see what's happening in Florida State? Um, if they can fix the funding part of it along with the cautious approach, that's what would seem like, to, to me, would be the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, I think, the intrigue with Ross Bjork is, man, I'm really shocked that you... I was, I, <laughs> that's not a conversation we need to have right now. I think that's where the intrigue is, is to the point you said Ohio State playing defense in these situations. Does it feel like with Ross Bjork in charge and the way he might be able to use his influence and his experience can put Ohio State on the offensive and some of these situations because, like, I mean, sometimes you're just going to lose kids. And we all understand that. Sometimes you're just going to lose kids. And if you're in a situation with a kid where it does feel like it's just come down to a bidding war, there might be times where you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. because, Yeah, yeah, it's like I don't want to continue down this road. This this number is way too high. Yeah, exactly. I I agree with it. Freshmen should not be your highest paid players. Yep. <laughs> your your best player should be your highest paid player. You're gonna pay, yeah, you're but, gonna pay, you know, Edric Houston more than you're paying JT Tumala or Jack Sawyer. Probably it, not good business. Right. right. So it's like there's it, but there's a difference between choosing to walk away yep. and never feeling like you were in the fight exactly. to begin with. Those are two different things. And I think that's where Ohio State needs to be, is making sure that you lost a kid to NIL. It's not because you just you couldn't bid, it's I'm not doing that because I don't want to do that. That's what negotiation is sometimes. Okay, that's that part of it. He was like really, really, really high on Ryan Day on Wednesday afternoon, Nathan. And do you think he needed to be that high on Ryan Day the way he talked about him (laughs) on Wednesday afternoon? Or do you feel like he was kind of making a point with some of that stuff? Um, again, this is a guy who's been at a place where other than the COVID year, I think they went 10 and one in the COVID yeah. year, Texas A&M did and finished fifth in the playoff. They got cut off. They were the team that left out because Ohio state got in with its mini schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, though and Ohio state deserved to get in over Texas A&M without question, yeah. in my opinion, and in the opinion of everyone outside of Texas A&M, I think, um, <laughs> But other than that, like, he doesn't know. He, I mean, Ohio State wins 11 games every year. And I know they didn't win the one that people want them to win the most. But when you look at this from the athletic director who's coming in from the outside's perspective, wait, it's like, wait, you're telling me I'm starting from a place where the football program wins 11 games a year and would have gone to the playoff every single year if there had always been a 12-team playoff and is the only program that that would be true of? Like he just he was talking about today that at Texas A&M when they hired um, away from Duke, uh, what's his name, um, Elko, Mike Elko hired him away from Duke. He had been at Texas A&M as a DC before that. Mm-hmm. Um, his contract was structured with a lot of incentives tied to the twelve team playoff. Well, it would be stupid to do that at Ohio State because that's the it's the expectation here that you just make it. Tw- you're always in a twelve team playoff, right? The, the contract stipulation about the 12-team playoff should be like, if you don't make it, you have to give back half of it or something. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you're just always going to make it here. And so I think you have to look at it from that perspective, that he is coming into a place where the football expectations are, uh, are sky high, but the performance and the accomplishments have been sky high too. Like, yes, I know the Cotton Bowl sucked. It sucked. And I know that it sucks to lose three in a row to Michigan. But look at the teams that Ohio State has lost to under Ryan Day. How often those teams tend to be national champions or playoff teams or be in the playoffs. Like, it's not as if they're losing. You don't have to take what's going on at Ohio State right now and ratcheted it up a hundred times. Like, it's there are tweaks that have to be made. There are strategies that have to be amended. There are maybe positions that have to be added or changed. Like they're doing all those things. Um, they're 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 coming up with a strategy and they're executing it. And I think from his perspective, he looks at Ryan Day, a guy who has had the record he's had at Ohio State, and says, "I'm glad that I'm coming in to a guy like this and not at a place where they're struggling to win seven, eight, 
nine, even with all the resources that they're spending on football. And that's what he's experienced in the past. He, the guy that he hired, the football coach he hired after they had to fire Hugh Freeze, got fired after three years. Never won more than six games. Fired after three years. Like it was a, it was that was a failure. Like it's he he recognizes where there's great success. And I don't think to, to come in if he came in on day one and is like, you know, it's been pretty good. But if he doesn't beat Michigan next year, he's out on his butt. Like. There's no way that you could operate a football program under those that atmosphere if he comes in today and says that. Like it's that's insane. No one's going to do that. He talks about high standards. He talks about this this football and men's basketball need to be winning championships. He said that today. Like that's the standard. And if there's a coach at Ohio State who needs to hear that, it's probably not Ryan Day first and foremost. So you asked Steven, did he need to be that high? I think you kind of did in a couple of different ways because what, I mean, look, we're also just kind of under, I mean, we also should just kind of point out the fact that like, this might not have been like a complete act, right? Like he might've just put on a, his genuine face and been like, yeah, this guy is a genius. And he called what he called him a brilliant mind in the game of football. And a great leader and, you know, said that when they're, you know, they're going to win championships, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like he could have said that, but I think the alternative is if you're not effusive in your praise, you don't want that to be misconstrued in the wrong way. You know, like you, you want, you don't want players reading a tweet because we all know that the way things get read today and the way things get consumed today in media is sometimes by headlines, sometimes by you know, little clips that make it on Instagram or on Twitter or on whatever, or I guess X or whatever, like that's how people consume news. And you don't want anything floating out there that leads you to believe that there's anything that he has, any doubt that he has about Ryan Day, right? You want this to be, hey, I want the fans to know that I'm behind this guy. And I want the other assistant coaches on the team to know that I'm behind Ryan Day. And I want the players to know that I'm behind Ryan Day. And I want recruits to know that I'm behind Ryan Day. And I want Ryan Day to know that I'm behind Ryan Day. Like, there's a lot that you can just kind of kill with one stone there. And I think, you know, I I think you kind of needed to be, you know, that uh, effusive in your praise of of the of the head football coach because, you know, Ross Bjork is joining a program where if that was the like if that was the record of Jimbo Fisher for the last like six years or whatever it is like fifty six and seven or whatever Ryan Day's record is if that was the record of a Texas A and M football coach people would be losing their minds in College Station right so he he is joining a program where there is a different kind of set of circumstances but you also got to let people know that this is the guy and I I believe in him and you want to let people around him know that this is the guy and I believe I don't think he had to be that high on Ryan Day. On Wednesday afternoon, what did you want him to say? What should he have said instead? I mean, he could have just been like, "Ryan Day is doing a really, really good job here." Like, not that guy over there. Brilliant mind. And here's why: there's a reason I'm saying that. I'm. I I didn't think he had to go that far with it to make his point. I think he wanted to go that far with it. And the reason I'm saying that is I'm comparing it to the guy you mentioned in passing, Nathan, and how he when he got asked about Chris Holtman and the basketball team. He wasn't quite all the way there. In fact, he was almost the polar opposite right. of that. Right, because Ohio State is has been, even this year, was one of the three or four best teams in the country, and Ohio State is not one of the three or four best teams in the Big Ten in men's basketball. It's a massive difference in achievement right now. Yeah. I don't care. Yes, they've lost to Michigan, I understand. But like the, what these two programs are doing right now is polar opposites almost. And so... Uh, you needed a different verbiage. I just, I think I, I agree more with what Andrew is saying that I think you got to also remember, you got to read the room a little bit. And if he had been introduced a week after the Michigan game or three days after the cotton bowl, the message might've been different than it is today. After Will Howard, Quinshawn Judkins, everybody, but Mike Hall that could be going to the NFL draft is coming back. Well, and, and Marvin Harrison, but you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the flood of ta- like the the way that the the vibe around this program has changed in the past two weeks significantly. Like I was I was there uh, the morning after the Cotton Bowl and just kind of the gloom that 
people were feeling and and even that night especially that night my god that night like just kind of people walking around like zombies and then to the way like Ryan Day looked pretty happy today. Ryan Day looked like he had a little bounce in his step when we saw him today. And mm-hmm. he should. Like, they've, they've had a good run here the last couple of weeks to set themselves up for... It's all about setting yourself up for success. I was talking to my wife about this concept recently. And, like, Ohio State has set itself up for success in a big way with what it's done here the last couple of weeks. And I think what he said today was not just a reflection of what Ryan Day has accomplished. Though, again, as we've been saying, by record, it's overwhelmingly positive the totality of the thing, but it's also what he's done just in the last couple weeks, what the program's done just in the last couple weeks to now push Ohio state back into a different, uh, people are talking about Ohio state differently today than they were just two weeks ago, just coming out of the cotton bowl out of the cotton bowl. It's like, man, is this program spiraling? Like what the heck is going on? They've Brian day can't win any kind of big game. They've got problems all over the place. And then now it's like, Oh, wait a second. (laughs) You mean they got all those guys back? And it's like the, the you know, ten guys are going to go in the first two, three rounds of the NFL draft next year, and um, now they're getting Will Howard. Now they're getting Quinchon Judkins. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it, all all of a sudden the narrative has changed. And I think what he said today was a little bit reflective of that too. It's not it's not that losing to Michigan is okay. It's that they've done things now to set themselves up for not just beating Michigan next year, but maybe winning the whole thing. Well, and it's it's also to Nathan's point about reading the room. I don't think anybody was really like in a bad mood at that place today, right? Like, I don't think anybody was really in a sour mood. Like, this was a happy thing where his family was there, and you had fans that were there, and you had coaches, other student athletes that were there, other coaches were there. You had a bunch of people in suits and ties were there, and everybody's all smiling and happy. And the last thing you want is for somebody to be like, what do you think of Ryan Day? And have him just be like, well, you know, he's, you know, he's done a good job. He's a nice guy. And we're going to evaluate everything. Like if, if he gave one of those like Ryan Day answers, we're evaluating the offensive coordinator position. We're evaluating <laughs> Parker Fleming and the special teams coordinator position. Like if he gave one of those answers, every single writer's head that was there would have fired up from their laptop and went, what did he just say? And everybody that was kind of following along, get the text, 614-350-3315, would have been like, wait a minute, Andrew, what did you just text us? Like, everybody would have been like, what's, wait, hold up. He's, what do you mean evaluate the coaching position, right? Like, you're not going to do that. You know, you're not going to be like, yeah, hey guys, uh, I know it's your birthday party today, but uh, I just lost my job. Or whatever. You're not going to bring bad news to a fun event, right? It's just it's just a simple thing where, yeah, I think you can be you need to be high on the guy for all the reasons that I listed, but also read the room a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to point out there's there was a very different tone in the way he talked about, as he said, the two revenue driving programs at Ohio State, and it it, it mirrored how people should be viewing these programs, the two revenue driving programs at Ohio State and I just thought it was interesting that even he having been on this been associated with Ohio State for 48 hours was keen enough to point that out in the way he answered questions about both of those two programs I think if there's if there's anything else I think that's I think we covered it all I think He's, it, it's I think it's so, gonna be yeah, interesting. This, he said he uh, like I told like I said in one of our YouTube videos the most excited thing the most excited thing I am about his tenure is that he kind of joked that he wants Ryan Day to put in a fullback oh, yeah. and run a fullback trap. If Ohio State runs a fullback trap next year, I'm gonna be so excited. I'm gonna be over the moon. He, yeah, he he was a fullback at Division Two Emporia State. He was yep. we were talking with him off to the side after, and he was admitting that actually his senior year. The tailbacks got all, yeah. all got hurt, so then he had to play tailback, and then the coach got fired, which meant that he wasn't a very good <laughs> tailback. Um, though it doesn't sound like it was solely his fault. But um, listen, I, it, I think he has things. There are reasons to look at this hire skeptically. I think it's fair. I think yeah. it's fair to say, hey, like the judgment that was exhibited in some of these cases, whether it was your judgment alone or not, is questionable. Gene Smith exhibited questionable judgment in a couple of cases over his 19 years. So I, I think it's fine to, to question it. I think it is, as with anything, it's more of a wait and see in terms of how does he take this SEC background and apply it to Ohio State's Big Ten or, or even like 
higher than Big Ten standard for itself. Um, as far as just its 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 judgment and uh, and its tolerance for things, I, that's I'm kind of fascinated by that. Um, it's the first time they've tried something like this in recent memory. Of course, Gene Smith's been the only AD in recent memory, but um, he didn't come from a background like this. It's just it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be I'm very I'm very curious to see what sort of changes he makes and how he sort of how he and Ted Carter are in lockstep sort of leading Ohio State into, again, what is a change that is inevitable, but also kind of unforeseen at this point. If you were to write a novel about today, I think you would title that novel Cautious Optimism. I think that that is probably the best way to, to phrase how Ohio State fans should be looking at the next however many years of Ross Bjork at, at Ohio State. That's a terrible novel title. That's I would fine. not read a it novel is. titled that's, Cautious, well, Optimism. Look, Cautious <laughs> that's Optimism. Cautious Optimism, the Ross Bjork at Ohio State story, or a day with that's Ross awful. Bjork at Ohio State. That's Andy awful. Gillis uh, I, in the case of the Cautious Optimism. Andy Gillis, yeah, don't ever yeah. say that again. Does that, <laughs> yeah, does that no, get Google hits? Cautious Optimism? Is that like a searching trend not. on Google? No, it does not. It does no. not. We'll workshop it. We'll, we'll go back to no, the we lab. Won't. We won't. We won't be doing that. We're going to shelve that and move forward on with our lives here. A lot of th- good things were said on Wednesday afternoon. They, like I said, they talked the talk, and now it's time to start walking the walk and seeing what some of this turns into. Some of it I'm intrigued by. Some of it I'm a little bit, you know, trying to figure out whether or not it's even possible to happen at Ohio State. But I guess we'll see. Ross Bjork introduced to Ohio State as his next athletic director. It's ninth athletic director in university history. And Ted Carter, university president. That's the future leadership of Ohio State right there for you. You get the text, 614-350-3315, as information, as news, as announcement, anything. Anything you want. Anything you want. Anything your heart desires, you can get through the text. 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, $399. After that, for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.